Revelation chapter 1. That's right. And they have the same message. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. It is a delight to have Adeline home tonight. And uh, at the conclusion of the service, I'll have her say a few things about Kim so that we're up to speed about her condition. Revelation chapter 1. And I'd like to read verses 4 through 12. And in fact... I'm going to only read part of verse 12. Remember when you used to have the old literature, it says 12a, 12b, 12c, just read part of it. Well, I don't mean to take anything out of context, but I want to stop there for tonight. The fourth verse, and I, I just have to say, this book will show us Christ on every page and every line, and when we get to the Alpha and Omega in every letter. This is the book of our Savior, the Lord Jesus and John is in the right place at the right time, even though there are probably, I just, I just have to say that, probably he was a little concerned when he's home, enjoying his home in Ephesus, and he is sent to the Isle of Patmos. Now, I would like to think that I wouldn't be, but I know I would. <laughs> If someone came to my home and said, we're going to exile you to an island and uh, we're going to take you away from your family, your friends, your church, your acquaintances, I know that I would be a little bit distraught. But we find out in this book that he is in the right place at the right time and he's given the blessed task of sharing the glory of God. He's given the task by the Holy Spirit to pen this book this letter to the seven churches of Asia, and to see sites that we get to glimpse at. Now, the words he uses are words that were common in his day and have been translated into our language, and some of those views that he got to see are difficult for us to understand, but they're as close to a description as he could possibly make as the Holy Spirit gave him those words. There are just some things that we're just not going to be able to understand in this life. And you know what? The church has said, thank you, Lord. Because we never, ever want to be able to be put into a position in this life to understand God. He's too small then, and we've got too many people in this world now that understand God. And we want to have some mystery about him, because there is a mystery about God, about his size, about his glory, about his holiness about his purpose of grace for us, about the council halls of eternity. There is mystery about him. And we delight in it that he would reveal one part of it, one particle to us. So we're just a blessed people if he'd reveal one particle of his Savior, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So John's in the right place at the right time, and he's been given this wonderful task and this message was taken down by him, not only for the seven churches of Asia, but all those blessed people between that time and our time. Now, this message is found throughout the Old Testament, but not in this compact form that we have here in the book of Revelation. Now, John was arrested, and he was exiled, and I, can, I just believe he was in a lonely place, and it was a barren place, as it's described, and uh, he would say as his brother, and our brother Joseph after this book was given to him, after this letter was given to him. 
He told his brothers, and we mentioned this Sunday night, you meant this for evil. And you know that gives us a real clear understanding of how much Joseph understood his brothers when they sold him into slavery. You meant this for evil. And there wasn't a person that took charge of John and put him on this aisle that did not mean this for evil. We're, it's payback time. But John would be able to say, as our brother Joseph, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we're glad he was placed there and was used as a secretary so that we could read these rich blessings about our Savior. Now, the Holy Spirit blesses him and lets him see the Spirit and be in the Spirit on this glorious celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to read that. All right, verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you in peace. And I just can't help but saying that's the order of things. Grace, then peace. It's never turned around. We're never going to acquire peace before grace. We will always acquire grace and then peace. God will always have us, always have his people in mind to grant them grace. Then he says there, uh, from him that is, and which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Thank God for that. I was discussing that today. Sometimes I have to be grabbed to hold by the front of my shirt and said, do you believe in the sovereignty of God or don't you? Because sometimes we question things. But he is the prince of the kings of the earth. And right now, and I don't mean to bring politics in, I don't spend much time on this in the pulpit, but we don't have much of a choice for November. <laughs> so, thank God, he is the prince of the kings of the earth. And he will use them whoever they are, in whichever country they're found, for his glory. And they're not there by mistake. They're there on purpose. It isn't a reaction that God has. He has been proactive from the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world, and all things are working out for his glory. When the Babylonians came down and took Judah for his glory, when the Assyrians took Israel for his glory. And there were people saved as a result of those terrible, terrible times among those nations. Unto him that loved us, I just love this. <laughs> he loved us from before time and washed us, loosed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion Forever and ever, so be it. The church says that. God says that. The angels say that. Every created being says that. What God says, so be it. Amen. Amen. He is the great amen, too. We're going to find that name here in the book of Revelation, that he is the so be it of God. But we say with John, we say it with the church, we say it with the angels, whatever God has spoken, so be it. Amen. And we just bow. 
Now he goes on, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. As if what we read in the previous verses here with regard to our Lord is not enough to satisfy the blessings of the church, he goes on and says, I have more grapes to put in your basket. And if they won't fit, we just get a bigger basket. There, when, when he fed the thousands, there were fragments taken up. And they, they're, they're not pawed on or chewed on food. That's just food that was left over. It's still in good shape. Baskets full. Everyone was full to contentment. The, uh, the endorphins were setting in. <laughs> that kind of full. And there were baskets remaining, left over. And here we have the Lord sharing, I am all these things, but, and I, amen about it, but I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. And then he concludes this by saying, the Almighty. And God's people have just bowed before those great titles and names of our God. They just give us such dear information about the Lord. When he says he's almighty, that's exactly what he is. He is the absolute almighty, no one mightier. He is the superlative of might. I'm all, I have all power. I have all power in heaven and in earth. And he does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And I'm glad what it goes on to say, and none can hold his hand back. None can stay his hand, and nobody is able to say with a loud voice, why are you doing that? that? That means that question. No one can question God or say, what doest thou? No, we may say it with our breath, but we're not going to say it with power. He is in charge. All right, he goes on to say here, John, I, John, who also am your, uh, your brother and companion in tribulation. I know what you're going through, he's saying to the saints. Uh, we, we'd honor him in any way we possibly could. But his honor to us is, I'm your brother. We're bought by the same blood. We are sinners saved by grace. There's only one person in all the Bible that I know of that you can go and he goes to a distinct time when he was saved. That's Saul of Tarsus. And the rest of them, we just go by faith <laughs> that God worked a work of grace in their lives sometime before we find them as his disciples. And John is one of them. And he says, I'm a brother. I'm a brother. Saying, I'm a brother in... Uh, companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was or I became in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, now this trumpet has melody and has understandable words. That's one thing you can't do with a trumpet. Now, you can make a tune out of it, and it can be pleasant. And I love brass. When uh, they have brass instruments playing and, and they're accompanying, I just love brass. But they can't speak words. And there's one thing about this trumpet. This is the voice of Almighty God, the Lord Jesus, 
with such clarity, the attention getting of a brass instrument. It just draws you to it. And yet this voice, like a trumpet, was clear language that John understood and wrote down. Wrote down. All right. He says, Here I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now I'm going to stop right there. And we're going to pick up here with uh, verse 9. Excuse me, verse 10. Verse 10. I'm going to say a few things about verse 10, but before we do, we want to just uh, be reminded about John's position here in uh, being on that aisle. I'd like us to go over to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. If you'd turn there with me. Jeremiah chapter 24. Jeremiah chapter 24. Now, John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's on there, the Isle of Patmos, for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is there by divine appointment. God has appointed him to this. Uh, he is there for a purpose, to be a secretary. Uh, it's interesting that while he's there, he has paper and ink. <laughs> Clean paper and ink. Now, it's beyond me that he'd be allowed to have that. But by divine appointment, he's going to write a scroll, and it's called the Book of Revelation. He's going to write. He has the, he has the ink and he has the paper, whatever it was, to be used for that purpose. Now notice here in, in Jeremiah 24, verse 4, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. For their good. For I will set my eyes upon them for good. I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them, and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them a heart to know me. Now that's one thing we're going to find John is blessed with in this book. He's going to be given a heart to know the Lord. And through that, God's people down to this hour have been blessed with that knowledge. He has shared what he has heard and seen and it wasn't his words, it was the words of the Holy Spirit to him. Now he goes on here in the book of Jeremiah chapter 24, and it says there in verse 7, I'll give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Now there's been a lot of people as a result of this book being brought back to the Lord with their whole heart. Their whole heart. So John is here by divine appointment. He has an appointment from God, and he is there with paper and pen, and he's going to write this book, 
And we are the blessed recipients of this book. We get to see what he saw and thankful that he will allow us to open up our eyes and our ears to see some of the things that he got to see. Now, no doubt, he had, he had some understanding about this that we'll never have, and he has understanding about it now that we'll get. But for our benefit, we get to see some things in this book. Now, uh, there in verse, going back to the book of Revelation, in verse 10 of the first chapter, it says, I heard behind me. Now, he, he heard something, and we, we find throughout the scriptures how valuable it is to have ears to hear. Ears to hear. Now, we mentioned last week that there was, uh, the Lord spoke, God spoke to his father, to his son from heaven, and some thought it thundered. Now, I believe that there are some people in the Midwest that have a different view about God today than they did yesterday. Because they did hear thunder. But when it comes to the Lord, some people just hear thunder and some people hear the Lord. And then we read there about Saul of Tarsus. Some people, they saw light but didn't hear anything. But he heard something. He heard a message from God Almighty directly to his heart, and that's the most valuable word he ever was given in all his born put-togethers, is that God would speak to him on the road to Damascus. He could have just passed by him. He could have just let him go. He could have just let him go on down to Damascus, and the saints down there would have paid the price, but he could have just let him go. But he heard something. Now, the, the uh, Apostle John as we look at him, he, he uh, heard something, and we also want to hear something. We want to hear something valuable. We want to hear something noteworthy, but we don't want to hear something new. I don't hear anything new. Now, I want to hear something new to me, but I don't want to hear new doctrine. I don't want to hear anything. Well, go over there to the book of Acts chapter 17. Now, this is what I don't want to hear. Acts chapter 17. You don't either. In Acts chapter 17, there in verse 21, there's a group of people that are just sitting around and they think they're very smart. Think very smart because they're just sitting around trying to create some new thing. Notice here, Acts chapter 17 and verse 21, the word of the Lord says, and all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Now, you know what that means? First liar doesn't have a chance. Because <laughs> the first guy to speak, he might as well keep his mouth quiet because the next guy's going to have something much bigger, much bigger lie. And the next guy, well, he's got two lies to outdo. So they're trying to figure out some new thing. I don't want that. I, I don't like all the song, but I do like these words. Tell me the old, old story. I want to hear what they preached in the Old Testament, what they preached in the New Testament times, and what they preached down through the years. I want to hear what John had to talk about, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't give me some created item. Don't give me some philosophy. Don't give me some new religion. Give me the old, old story, the old paths 
that God's people have been going down since the very beginning. The very narrow path. Give me the narrow path. Don't give me the Broadway. Give me the narrow path. And that's what we find that the Apostle John was enjoying. And that's what the church was enjoying. And that's what God's people enjoy. And yet, there's all of these new things. One of the verses we find, Don't be turned by every wind of doctrine. The old weather vane. You know, here in the Dalles, you can just wear out a weather vane. I was looking last night on the, on the uh, internet about uh, the weather here in the Dalles and went through the, every hour which way the wind was blowing and how fast it was blowing, and it's going to wear out a weather vane to keep up with it. There's all points of the compass in one day and different speeds. He's, the Bible says, Paul was used to write, don't be turned, moved. By every new thing that comes along, God settles his people. Now, John is settled on this one thing. My Lord and my God, that's what he's settled on. He is able to confess the confession of Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And God could say to him, just like he did Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. It's a revelation. It's not education. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. As we find John heard something, and we want to hear something, but oh God, protect our ears. Protect our ears. The truth will always bear investigation. Don't ever be afraid to investigate the truth. Don't ever be afraid of it. If you want to read a book on it, read a book on it. And God give you the grace to sift out the chaff. But the truth will always bear investigation. That's good for us to be investigating the truth. Reading uh, good works. Read a bad work once in a while, then you know what a good work is. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you find out why they're, wa wonder why they're wasting the paper, but it will always bear investigation. The truth will always bear investigation, and you don't have to be a liar to tell what you know about the truth. Uh, you don't have to make excuses for God. You don't have to make excuses for his word. It's just plain and simple. The simplicity of the gospel is so valuable. And we don't have to go around lying about it and making excuses on what God's doing. He's doing what he wants to do. And God's people and just say, amen. Amen. Let it go. Okay, here in the book of 2 Timothy, uh, in the uh, fourth chapter of the book of 2 Timothy, we want to read... Verses 1 through 4, fourth chapter, verses 1 through 4, says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and John is going to be writing to a couple of the churches here in the seven churches of Asia. And the Holy Spirit, the Lord God Almighty, is going to be pointing out, you've turned aside to itching ears. You're not on the, your arrow is bent. You're not pulling back all the way on the bow. He says here, not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, this is not talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
These are people who pretend to have known Christ. These are people inside of the visible body that are doing this. This is not the haywire people. These are the people that we trusted. These are the people that we had confidence in. That's what he's writing about. People they trusted and had confidence in, and they've turning aside. Oh, you know, we, I think we ought to have a message on, on uh, that Shroud of Turin. No, we, we ought to have a message on, on uh, let's all be together. Uh, and pretty soon, you're off in left field. And the Apostle John, when he heard something, he heard the voice of the Lord. He heard a voice like a trumpet. He heard God speaking to him. He said, I am Alpha and Omega. And my goodness, when God shares that with his people, he gives them a steadiness that they don't have to go anywhere else for their food. When he, the Almighty One, says, look to me, we don't have to go anywhere else. As here, what is it that people are turning aside for? What is it that they're, they're heaping to themselves, teaching, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables? What is that that will draw people to do that? Paul shared with the Galatians, to the Galatians, I'm so surprised that you would so soon be turned away from him. Him. Oh, what a, what, what a, what a position to have turned away from him. John heard a voice like a trumpet. There's verses that talk about uh, uh, just stay away from qu uh, questions that gender a strife. Just, there's no hearing there. It's not worth going there. You know, in my religion, one of my favorite things to do was to argue. <laughs> and you can use apologetics as an excuse. And once you're saved, you just find out grace people are gracious and if they don't understand, there's one reason for it. They just don't have a heart to understand. And God, please, open their heart so they can see it. It's not going to come by education. It's not going to come by training. It's going to come by revelation. All right, let's go back over here to the book of Revelation. As we see that John heard something, and it's very interesting to me. I mentioned this last week, but not in... With any depth to it, but it's very interesting to me that this voice is behind him. It's not out in front of him. I, you know, today, yesterday I was saved. Today I'm being saved. And tomorrow I will be saved. Salvation is an ongoing thing. God is ongoing saving me every day. It's a salvation that is yesterday, today, and forever. It's an ongoing issue with me. And every day I must be turned. Turn me and I shall be turned. Oh my goodness. We find that in the lives of the Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings. That every day God was used to turn them. 
turn their ideas, their thoughts, their motives, their practice, everything. They're going in one direction, and God is so gracious to come down and turn us to him. Oh, we think we're going in the right direction. I'm convinced that John thought he was um, being blessed, and, but God had to turn him around and let him see the Lord on this side of him. It's not out here. We're so common and looking out here for the Lord, but he's not out here. He's behind us. He's got to turn us. On that thought, would you turn with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 3? Ezekiel chapter 3, it's, he's turning us. He is constantly turning us. Thank God he's turning us. I heard a message one time back in, in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and it, it just stuck with me there about if, if he didn't have control of our inheritance, we'd give it up. If he didn't have control of our salvation, we'd give it up. Uh, that song we sang, we're not holding on to his hand. Now that's the way most songs will sing. We're hanging on to his hand. We're hanging on to his hand. No, the truth of the matter is he's holding on to our hand. Now, our kids, when they're growing up, they know that we're mom and dad, but you know what? They'll turn away from us. They'll walk out. They'll do things that we don't want them to do, and we've got to hang on to their hand. And God Almighty in Christ Jesus is so faithful to his people. When we're not, he turns us. Turns us. Now, we only may be 15 degrees off, but we still need to be turned. Oh, draw us back. Draw us back. Now, notice here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3 and verse 12. He's not out here. He's there. He's behind us. He's at the holy place. Ezekiel, chapter 3 and verse 12. The scriptures share this. Then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his, from his place. I heard behind me. Oh, we think we're spiritual? Spirituality's in Christ. Thankful, hopeful, hope is in Christ. It's not here. It's not in the flesh. It's not in what we're practicing. It's not what we're doing. All of it is found in Christ. So thank God he turns us. And then two verses I want to read. One's in Jeremiah and one is Lamentations. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 31, as we think about being turned, we had to be turned when he saved us. You know what? Next day he turned us too. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 18. He saved us. He's saving us. He will save us. He turned us. He's turning us. And he will continue to turn us. We've got this reflex, old flesh reflex. And he's turning us. He's drawing us to Christ. He's drawing us with cords of love. Here in the book of Ezekiel, excuse me, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter uh, 31. And there in verse 18, Jeremiah 31, 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastened as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Turn me. Oh, my goodness. What a prayer. And it's short, and it's sweet, and it's for our prayer closet. Turn me and I shall be turned. Oh God, turn me and I shall be turned. Daily, turn me. I'm so accustomed to this. Turn me so I can see you. Turn me so I can see Christ. 
Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed. I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. What's he say? After I was turned, I repented. After I was turned, I was instructed. And John could say the same thing. I'm sitting out here. I'm in the spirit on the Lord's day. I'm having a revival meeting in my soul about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you would think that God would appear to him right out in front of him. And God appeared to him behind him. Turn me. Turn me. Lest I think I'm spiritual, turn me. Lest I think I'm satisfied, turn me. Now it's easy. He's easy to turn us. He's gentle. He has broke us. He will turn us. Now, and Lamentations. Next little book there. The Lamentations of Jeremiah, chapter 5. Lamentations, chapter 5. Every day, O God, turn me. And I shall be turned. And I'll be instructed and I'll repent. God grant repentance unto the Gentiles. O Lord, that I'll look to you. And here, Lamentations 5, verse 12. The word says, princes are hanged upon, up by their hand. And the faces of elders were not honored. They took the young men to grind and the children fell under the wood. The elders have ceased from the gate. The young men from the music. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. For this our heart is faint. For these things our eyes are dim. Because of the mountain of Zion which is desolate. The foxes walk upon it. Thou, O Lord, remainest forever. Thy throne from generation to generation. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever and forsake us so long time turn us turn thou us unto thee O Lord and we shall be turned renew our days as of old now, Jeremiah is talking about when they were in prison but it has such a spiritual application as Lord as things get to going grand and I'm thinking I'm spiritual and growing turn me so I can just see you not that I want to be uh, uh, glorying in my own accomplishments, but I want to see you. And here's John. The voice comes to him from behind. Turn me, Lord. Now, I think probably he was pretty satisfied with where he's sitting until he got to turn around. And there was no comparison to where he was to what he got to see. There's nothing that could compare out here, looking at even being in the Spirit on the Lord's day, could not compare to what he was going to see as God turned him. As we go back over there, we find that uh, he was turned. When he was turned, it says there in verse uh, 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard a voice behind me, heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And he turned, verse 12, he says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. God moved him to turn. He heard and he turned. But now this great voice, this voice, I, it's just hard to explain a voice so 
triumphant and so glorious and so loud and so that could speak this world into existence, that could take nothing and make a world and could take nothing and make man a voice. He spoke and the worlds were created. I can't imagine that voice, the authority that's in that voice, the magnitude of that voice, the glory of that voice, how loud it was, how, how the earth trembled in its own creation at the voice of the one that spoke it into existence. This voice, it's a great voice, it's a glorious voice, it's a grand voice, it's a good voice, it's a loud voice. Now this voice is used several times in scriptures and they, they are so prominent. My goodness, to, he had something to say. And he silenced the crowd by the loudness of his voice. He had an act to perform, and he silenced the crowd by what he had to say. It was such a grand, clear statement of power and authority. This verse over here in the book of John chapter 11. Turn there with me. You know where I'm going. I'm going to the tomb of Lazarus. <laughs> this grand voice. My goodness. He, he could hide himself in a crowd. There were several times they made an attempt and they would have, if they could have, killed him. And he'd slip away and they couldn't even identify him in the crowd. He removed himself. And this day, with such clarity, such power, such volume, such interest, such desire to demonstrate the glory of God in creation. Here in the book of John, chapter 11, we read these words as... The Lord Jesus Christ comes up to a dead man's tomb. Dead four days. I mean, there's clarification there. Don't even open the door, his sister said. Don't even open the door. Don't roll away the stone. It's just terrible. So John chapter 11, verse 43, we read these words. And when he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice. Now, I don't know how many decibels it was. But it was loud. And it means powerful. Clear. Distinct. Overcoming all obstacles. Overcoming the crowd. The buzz of the crowd. Overcoming every enemy. Overcoming all. Overcoming the world. Overcoming every enemy. Overcoming death. What power and, and, and volume had to be exercised that day when Jesus Christ overcame death. And he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. There's no actor that could perform with the distinctness that Jesus performed that day. They couldn't study the voice enough. But he knew what he was doing. And he knew he had to silence the enemy. That loud voice. Now there's other times recorded in scripture. Three of them. I think two of them are about the same event. But they're re recorded three times in scripture. When from the cross he cried with a loud voice. Got their attention. These other men are, are 
writhing in agony, and he's speaking with authority from the cross. The creator of heaven and earth is speaking. The, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. The one who overcame sin, death, hell, and the grave. With a loud voice, he gave up himself on the cross. No man took his life from him, but he gave it over willingly, voluntarily, as it was in the covenant of grace. And when he spoke from the cross with a loud voice, he commended his spirit to the Father. With a loud voice, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What a voice he spoke there about our position as sinners before an almighty God. Here's the Son of God paying the price of our sin, and God his Father refuses to be called Father and must be addressed as God. My God, my God. He's spoken Father before this. He'll speak Father after that in the on the cross. But this time he must address him as God. And with a loud voice, the God who created heaven and earth, the God who created all the stars and angels from the cross, cried with a loud voice. So he is in the business of declaring who he is by his voice. He is in the business of declaring who he is by what he does. He is declaring business to be done today. And when he cries with a loud voice, the voice of a trumpet, the voice uh, that charges the air, <laughs> he spoke with a voice. As it tells us over there in the book of, of Revelation, he said, behind me a great voice, a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, this trumpet did not have, an un, uh, have a wavering sound. Uh, Saul, Paul was used to write if the trumpet sound, and it's an uncertain sound. Now, the, the military used to be run by these trumpets. And it was just not getting up and going to bedtime, trumpets. It was charge, retreat, how fast you went into battle. All of these things were given to the ear. People were given orders through the trumpet. The generals broke to the trumpeteer, and the trumpeteer put out the message. And Paul said, if it gives an uncertain sound, how will you know to go into battle or to retreat? Well, what he's having to say is, if the gospel be not preached, then people are not going to hear. It must be a clear, distinct sound. The sound of a trumpet, a war trumpet, used by the lips of a professional and that's what we find with the Lord Jesus Christ. The voice of a professional. His voice is like a trumpet. Catches your attention and draws you to it. And causes you to hear. Now, this voice is saying. Now, John still this direction. And the voice is behind him. Talk about surround sound. <laughs> we got surround sound. This voice touched both ears, touched his eyeballs, touched his hands, his feet, his whole body was in contact with these words. I remember when, one year the shop teacher says, Norm, you got to come over and watch this. I said, what do you got, Fred? And he says, you got to come see this. And there was a kid that put a million dollars worth of electronic gear into his car. I'm... I, it was more than I'd ever want to put in a car. He'd put thousands of dollars of, of uh, speakers in his car. And he has that car 
speakers running and Fred put a quarter on the top of that car and it's jumping off this far. I mean, the sound waves are bouncing that quarter off the top of the car. And it was you could feel the, the, the bass notes. I mean, bumping you. You could just feel them bumping you. It, they come down Court Street and they'll rattle our glass in our, in our uh, windows. You know, well, what, what I'm saying is, this is a voice you can feel. It's surround sound. It's got your attention. It's got John's attention. He's thinking he's in the right direction, but he's not. He's going to be turned, though. Thank God he does that. Sometimes we're so satisfied with the way we are, and God so pleasantly sends a train by us through the voice of a trumpet, and we turn, we turn. Every day, God thank him, he turns us. He turns us. Oh, we're so prone, but he turns us. He's faithful to us. He's a faithful high priest, and he will faithfully turn us, and he'll turn us by his voice. And he says here, I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am, out. and I wish I could just mimic that voice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It is so clear and so distinct and struck his ears with such distinctness and clarity. I am Alpha and Omega. It's one thing to write it. It's another thing to hear it. We can write out I'm Alpha and Omega on a blackboard until it's past going home time. But when he speaks it to our soul, I am the beginning and the ending. I am the everlasting one. I am Jehovah God Almighty. And speaks it to our soul. We'll never be the same. We'll want that again. Yep. Brother Milton Howard was in my home one time and he said, you know, Norm, <clears throat> I've had two or three good cups of coffee in my life and this isn't one of them. Now, what he's telling me is, if you've ever had a good cup, you know what it is to taste bad coffee. My goodness, this is so good. If you've ever heard this voice, you will never listen for another. You will not want an uncertain sound of the trumpet. This is the voice of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last and what thou seest, oh my goodness, not only are we going to get to hear, but we're going to get to see. And this is in surround sight, overshadowing sight. I mean complete. This is that Omnimax. <laughs> the Lord Jesus coming from one side, going around a full spectrum and passing off to this side. We have, generally speaking, we have pretty good peripheral vision that's where we catch movement. Thank God. Thank God. He catches our eye. Moses saw something and he turned aside. John heard something and he turned aside and then he saw. And the Lord Jesus is going to give this to him. And then we're just overwhelmed as we go down through there and read about what he looks like. What he looks like. This is no picture that's ever been painted. 
All the pictures of Jesus, they're not like this one. This is the best picture you'll ever see. Now, the Song of Solomon is there too. Best picture. And you have to admit at the conclusion, oh my goodness, he's altogether lovely. There's no imperfections in our Savior. You know, some people, he's, he's good this far, their prophet. He's good this far. But he had this failing. You know what the worst failing of most prophets is? And he died. <laughs> That's the worst failing. Now, our prophet, he purposed to lay down his life, a ransom for many. And he purposed to be in the tomb for three days and three nights. But on purpose and of a purpose, he rode the, rose the third day, according to the scriptures. And our prophet, priest and king, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And with the voice of a trumpet, he's giving out his word to his people. And there's a resonant frequency. I saw a film one time of the Galloping Gertie. That was that old Narrows Bridge. That wind came down through there, and pretty soon it's going in a wave. Tore it all to pieces. You see a stop sign hits a resonant frequency. Going like that. It's God creates a resonant frequency in us when he saves us that will hear this clear, distinct voice and we don't even question it. It just vibrates us. <laughs> resonant frequency. He is in, oh, no, we're in tune with him. He's created a receiver within us that is in tune with his word. And that's what we're going to read about here. Well, our time is up.